Welcome to the Texas VC Podcast. I'm your host, Aziz Galani. I'm here today with Kirk Coburn, who is a professional surfer today, but up until recently was the managing director of Surge Ventures and helped run Surge here in Houston, Texas. So welcome, Kirk. Thanks, Aziz. Good to be here. Now, Kirk is another one. This is the third in our series of pillars of the Texas entrepreneurship community. And I'm really excited to talk to Kirk today because he is very native. You've got deep roots in this community. And you've been, since day one, been doing everything you can to help see entrepreneurship flourish here in our community. Thanks for being here. Now, you, you grew up here, right? I did. I did. I am a... I tell people I'm a seventh-generation Texan, which is true. <laughs> but, but but that doesn't buy me anything. <laughs> so I, I But I did grow up in Houston. I'm yeah. a native Houstonian. I grew up in the Buffalo Bay. You and that, in fact, was probably my playground. Yeah, so some people grew up swimming in Barton Springs over in Austin, some people swam in the Trinity River up in Dallas. Buffalo Bayou, that's your home. That's my home. Now, you grew up here in Houston. Where'd you go to high school here? I went to Stratford High School. Go, go Spartans. <laughs> and then I left and uh, went to the University of Texas. So University of Texas, you went there. Which, which college were you at at UT? I was in the business school because yeah. my dad told me that the best thing you could ever do was not get a business degree. And I wanted to be an entrepreneur like him. And he says, if you want to be a good entrepreneur, you're going to go study anything but business. And I said, you're wrong. <laughs> because knowing yeah. accounting and finance... Yeah at 18 really matters. So you got your BBA from UT. That's right. Hey, so you graduated from UT. What was the first thing you did after you graduated? You know, I moved to Washington, D.C. to be part of a nonprofit. And I worked there for literally three months and said, I need to go get a real job. So I moved back to Austin because as a Houstonian, there was nothing in Houston at the time. What year was this? This was 1994, and you know, as a as a um, post-apocalyptic oil crisis Gen Xer, I wanted to live in Austin, and I went to work for Dell. Being in Austin in the 90s, Dell was everything. Can you can yeah. you take a moment here to kind of describe like how go go things were? You know, Dell was actually like I, everyone complained about the culture because the culture was all about stock, the stock price. So any of you Enron people out there that listen to this, we probably shared a lot of uh, camaraderie there. But it was phenomenal because because in order to work there, you had to be executing at 110%. You had to strategically be on your A game. Um, only the best survived. And I thought that was a great place to learn. So you were at Dell. What, what, what group were you at in Dell? Man, I was in, uh, I started in sales, which I loved. I thought it was really fun. I wanted to learn. You can't learn how to sell in a textbook. One of my mentors gave me that advice. So I, I went into sales and I immediately went into pricing right after that. And, um, and then into brand management. So oh, I, wow. I loved it. It was great. Which brand were you managing? Optiplex. Oh, I remember Optiplex. So unsexy. The most, the least sexy, <laughs> the least sexy product of all time. <laughs> but when I always complain to the attorneys there about how to substantiate that we will save you. We had the lowest total cost of ownership, which the attorneys were like, prove it. And I'm like, it just is. <laughs> so print, so let's put it in advertising. We are the platonic ideal of low cost. Yeah, low cost. <laughs> well, what did the name Optiplex even mean? No this idea. is something that I never could figure out. I still don't. I don't know. And I was, I own the brand. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, so you're there, 
Uh, how many years were you at Dell? I was at Dell for five years, 94 to 99. And then what prompted you to leave? Because Dell was still king of the world back then. I mean, this was a moment in time when, yeah. when, when Michael Dell was asked, like, what would you do if you were running Apple? What would you do? And he was like, I just return the money to the shareholders and go back to running Dell. So not only, not only is that a funny story, but I was pricing at the time he made that comment and uh-huh. I was pricing for consumer and small business against Apple. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I took some credit for that. Yeah. Um, it's so funny to look back now because we're all laughing at us. Yeah. Um, well, here's what's happened. 99 was incredible because it was the height of the, of the fall, you know, right before everything cratered. And the baby boomers and those that were even like my dad that came out of tech was saying, there's no reason that these companies should have valuations this high. And I was like, well, I know I've made millions of Dell by just being here because of the stock options. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. I was like, but I can go make a billion dollars at one of these startups. <laughs> and so I left for a startup. Yeah. So, so what was your startup? Well, it wasn't really a start. So a, a company in Nashville called Gaylord Entertainment, which they owned, they started country music television. They own Ryman Auditorium, the Grand Old Opry, as well as Opryland Hotels. Mm-hmm. They also owned all these music labels and they yeah. bought a couple companies that were doing online music sales. Yeah. And we effectively became the internet group of Gaylord Entertainment, which is a publicly traded company on the New York Stock Exchange. The shares don't trade that often, but we're a public company. And as a 27-year-old, I was an executive in this public company, (laughs) but I had some cachet because I was a former Dell guy and we were internet guys and no one in Nashville even understood what the internet was at that time. (laughs) And so basically within a year, we... Almost took the company to bankruptcy because we spent a lot of cash and, and I got fired and left Nashville. Okay. So that was a crash and burn experience. Great experience. But what did you learn? Man, at, well, now look in hindsight, what I learned is, is be careful about what opportunities you jump into. <laughs> the, the, the second thing I learned is, and something that took me a long time to learn, probably my most important lesson was my boss wanted to spend cash mm-hmm. and I wanted to reach profitability. So we had this argument in this company and we were spending millions of dollars. Are we going to be Barnes and Noble? Or are we going to be Amazon? And Amazon was around at that time. Yep. Come to find out. And I was actually a Barnes and Noble fan. If we can figure out how to be profitable, then we'll keep our jobs and we'll make money for the company. And I was against my boss. Mm-hmm. And so guess who won that argument? Yeah. My boss. Yeah. He fired me. Okay. He actually didn't even fire me. We went to a bar and he says, Kirk, what do you think of how things are going? And I, I knew that was the bait. He gave me the bait. <laughs> and I think he was going to fire me, but I said, it's not working out. Yeah. And he said, I agree. <laughs> so Dell left on a high note. Yeah. Gaylord left on a low note. A low note. So then what's step three here? So we... Uh, uh, we I moved back to Austin because uh-huh. didn't know where else to go. Right. Um, and immediately within one week, got a job at a startup that raised $60 million from the cable industry to build out broadband services. And the first service was building a home security system that we'd sell home security like ADT, but using like, but was, you know, brought to you by Comcast or. What year was this? Uh, 2000. 
So in the year 2000, joint start, what employee number were you? Five. Okay, employee number five raised how much money? $60 million. $60 million. Right. Uh, from all these cable companies to build up this security thing. That's right. Who, who was the VC that backed y'all? Uh, the VCs were all strategic. So it was, co- it was actually literally the cable company's balance sheets that funded our So company. they were the board members. So they like were Comcast Ventures or whatever that arm that's was. Right, that's the right. The Cox guys. That's like right. Like all those guys. Co- and everyone but Time Warner. Yeah. So yeah. I was actually in some ways embarrassed. I'm like, we, yeah, all the cable companies and everyone in 99 But the one in say, my hometown. Yeah, everyone in 99 <laughs> would say, well, Time Warner? I said, no, everyone but them. Well, they were busy trying to deal with this whole AOL thing. AOL. <laughs> so you go to that startup and then how's that ride? The ride, so I was there for two years. I, I, uh, Built the product, yeah. which was a lot of fun. And the management team, this is another story. Here it goes. I'm like, they're wrong. <laughs> I don't, I think their strategy is wrong. And, um, two years later, they fire me. And I am thinking, <laughs> I think having a job might be a bad idea. So, well, like, um, clearly, I mean, well, I mean, Dell seemed to work out, but then Gaylord didn't work out. And then, uh, what was the name of the security company? Uh, it was called Security Broadband. So Security Broadband didn't seem to work out either. It didn't work out. But what's funny is optically in the city of Austin, when they fired me, they said, look, you need to sign this, this agreement that, so you don't tell anybody we fired you and we'll pay you. And so this non-disparagement agreement. Non-disparagement. I was like, great. Yeah. Um, okay, great. <laughs> and, and the funny thing, Dell hired me immediately back. So, <laughs> so I've been fired twice, but I was on the street for less than a week yeah. both times. Yeah. So what did I really learn? Yeah. Uh, nothing at that time. So Dell hired me right back. <laughs> okay. Back to Dell. Did, did you run Octoplex again or what'd you do? No, what's funny is I enrolled at University of Texas Business School MBA at night program. Oh, nice. Because I was like, I'm, and I tried to get Dell to pay for my MBA at night because coming back a second time, they knew I was loyal. And a guy named John Hamlin, who was an executive there, who I have the most respect for, he said, Coburn, how long are you actually going to work here this time? So they did not pay for my MBA, yeah. and um, I worked in a. That was probably the coolest job I've ever had yeah. outside of starting a company, and and it was the CMO at the time, a guy named Mike George, who now runs. I don't know if he's still CEO of QVC, yeah, but he hired a, he hired this group called New Business Development, and our job was to go find accretive, and I learned that word. That was a big word, Adele, accretive, which has been abused and, and <laughs> It's right up there with synergy. Synergy, <laughs> find accretive businesses. So we would go create business ideas and pitches yeah. to the executive team on new products. So yeah. out of our group came the printers, the handhelds, and the XPS line. Oh, nice. But I'll tell you, my best idea was this. And this was uh, when I... By the way, did XPS stand for anything? No. XPS was in... We actually... (laughs) Dimension, if you know that product line, we used to have a Dimension XPS, which means the faster version. (laughs) And so a colleague of mine was like, well, we're going to create a whole new gaming system called XPS. I was like, well, I know where you got the name. Yeah. But I had this great idea, and I almost got fired for it. Okay. I was like, what if you took a Palm Pilot and a cell phone... And you put them together. Boom. And this is what the Dell exec said to me. 
That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Yeah. No one wants to combine those two things. <laughs> Don't ever bring that up again. And we created a music player that went nowhere. And, yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Oh my God. It was horrible. <laughs> I went back to business school so I could start a company. And okay. I didn't have an idea. And so... When enrolled in what is known as the Moot Corp or business plan competition. I remember Moot Corp. That thing was legit. Legit. And the guy that started at UT, which I think he is the founder of kind of business plan competitions, got him Gary Cadenhead. Dr. Gary Cadenhead was my professor. Nice. And instead of... I used to timekeep when I was at UT. Really? For Moot Corp. With a little stopwatch. I was the guy with a little card. You did that. Yeah. Well, so there was a class that you could take, like new venture creation. Uh huh. Uh huh. I remember that. And instead of me taking the class, I took it as a faculty supervised study. So in order to not have to go into business with fellow classmates and, and you, cause in those yeah. things, you have to pick partners. I was like, oh, hey. you had to start a business. And I was like, well, I want to do it on my own because yeah. I might want people that aren't in the school. Right. So I started, I wrote a business plan. Yeah. And, um, I started a company right out of. And school. what was the company? The PGA Tour Network on satellite radio. Nice. So that one worked. Talk about this because it didn't just work. I mean, it really worked. I would love to say strategically, um, <laughs> I was a mastermind, but timing is everything. Uh-huh. And timing was really good. Yeah. So. It was during, um, it, number one is the idea came out of, I drove from one side of Austin to another to drive to work every day. And when you're stuck in the car for a long time, mm-hmm. the only thing you have to do is listen to the radio. And I bought XM radio and they weren't talking about golf. And I understand golf on the radio is worse than listening to an insurance seminar. It's right. horrible to non-golfers. But I was yeah. like, I want to hear what's going on during the masters. Yeah. So I was like, well, there needs to be golf on the radio. That's how the idea sparked. And then I started writing this business plan. And come to find out, it was during the rights wars. And if you remember satellite radio, XM and Sirius was the fastest consumer electronic to reach a million subscribers ever. Oh, yeah. I, I remember distinctly folks were talking about how Silicon Valley had missed the boat on what was the fastest growth story in history. Ever. Uh, ever. Because everyone had a freaking car. And they started putting these things in cars. Everyone wanted it. And so from having a business background and a Dell MBA, if you will, and a UT MBA. Oh, for sure. What I learned is you can learn a lot about companies by reading their annual statements and their, and their 10Ks uh, and, 10, and their core 10Qs. And so I started researching satellite radio. And what I learned is, well, a couple big things. One is these Sirius and XM were awesome. You always want to have at least two people in the chase. Oh, yeah. Because they started bidding up the rights war. So there's a rights war. Remember Howard Stern went for like a hundred million dollars a year. Oh yeah. And, and Major League Baseball went for a hundred plus million. And then the NFL, Sirius felt like we're losing because, um, XM got Major League Baseball. Yeah. And Sirius was like, well, we're going to get the NFL right. So here I come right behind that. And I said, Hey, how, who wants golf rights? And they're like, this is the dumbest idea I've <laughs> ever heard. And I said, well, okay, great, but you've got a big problem. The light cable, because they pitch satellite radio like it's a cable play. Right. 
And we, we've already built into your stock price the price of your subscriptions and your subscriber growth. The way to have a creative growth or the way to, value, to <laughs> justify your stock price was to have ad revenue coming in. Uh-huh. And guess what? Neither one of those companies were able to sell ad revenue. So I came in with a, hey, by the way, uh, the PGA or golf is the third most viable sport in the world because of sponsorships. Uh-huh. And I have sitting on here, and I learned this back at Gaylord Entertainment when we did a deal with MTV. When uh-huh. MTV launched MTV Interactive, which was their online sort of interactive, they went after big sponsors like Budweiser to launch and they knew about selling sponsorships. So I sort of took that knowledge and went to Lexus and Rolex and some big mm-hmm. names and said, hey, how would you like to sponsor this channel? And yeah. it's reaching your, your demographic. To rewind just a little bit. Yeah. How did you get these rights in the first place to be able to sell them to Sirius and XM? That was probably the most brilliant idea, but it wasn't really, in my mind, something I thought about. My investor base were professional golfers. And little did I know, because I really didn't know, is that the PJ Tour is a nonprofit. And I kind of knew that, but they worked for the players. So mm-hmm. I had some of the most powerful players and in the world. And how did you get these players? Well, my first was an Austin resident guy named Ben Crenshaw, immediately Uh invested, and I can't believe it. It was amazing. And then that got me door, the doors opened for me to get in front of some of the guys that were really big at the time. Okay. You live in Austin. Ben Crenshaw lives in Austin. How do you connect? Well, one guy that I knew in Austin knew him, and Austin's pretty small. He's pretty like, small town. And and I knew him. He was a, a well-known banker that was involved in UT, and he says, I'd like to, the two of you to connect. And, and, and they and I tried to pitch them, him and his agent, a guy named Scotty Sayers, on the idea, and um, they were way ahead of me. Yeah. Like, Golf Channel on the radio got it. Okay, so you're now in this position where you've got these rights from the PGA. Um, you, you've got all these golfers to invest in your deal. You're now going to Sirius and XM, and you're getting them to get a bidding war over your content. That's right. And, 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 and how, how does that end up? It ends up that Sirius really didn't care. <laughs> but but I didn't let XM know that. Yeah, because they were they were they were nervous about rights, so they they didn't want to lose it. And they're yeah. like, well, the head of programming was like, this is actually really good content. If you listen to golf on the radio, it actually works. And okay. we, we created a demo that uh-huh. included even background uh, singers, uh, Huey, Lew- yeah. Huey Lewis and the News even did some stuff for us. Nice. But we shot a video that had audio in it. Mm-hmm. And the head of programming really liked it. Mm-hmm. So check number one. So he said to the board, I, I'm in. Number two is the head of marketing was like, I don't get golf, but the logo looks good. And the PJ Tour came with me to pitch. And they said, look at our demographics. They're amazing. So the head right. of marketing is like, I can use this to sell more subscriptions. Okay. Then the head of sales, which sold sponsorships, was like, well, you're bringing millions of dollars to the table. I can book that immediately and immediately have an incredible jump to our stock price. So I think mm-hmm. it came down to the fact that we were bringing ad revenue in. Yeah. And it impressed them because they were unable to sell uh, sponsorships that we were able to do. Yeah. Yeah. But I I love the strategic background here, which was you found the proprietary source of content. You got your hands on it. You secured it. And then you you put it out in a marketplace where you had multiple bidders. Right. Um, and, And it seems like the outcome was positive. The outcome was positive. They No one thought the deal was going to really work. And it was almost a hedge play. 
However, 2005 U.S. Open, our subscribers, our listeners, went through the roof. Uh-huh. And we started outpacing Comcast uh, brand, the Golf Channel, on Thursday, Friday. Oh, nice. And so we started getting incredible ratings. Because guess where all the, the people that listen to golf and watch golf are usually in their car right. more than they're in front of a TV. Mm-hmm. So there's these sort of... These wealthy, usually yeah. men, and boom, we ca- we had that. That's exactly XM's demographic. Yeah. So we were able to retain this incredible demographic, which cre- created a lot of value. So you do this, works out, good exit for you? Great exit. Was the, I was CEO, president for four years. We sell the company. I get fired. <laughs> and they only fire one guy, right. which is me. Right. Well, they don't need you anymore. They don't need Your me job anymore. was to sell the company and you sold it. Which I actually, we had another bid from a uh, from Comcast, uh-huh. and I was going to go work for the Golf Channel. Yeah, and I was like, "That's a great deal." Yeah, <laughs> but the board and the investors were like, "No, <laughs> let's take the higher cash offer, yeah. not what your future job's going to be." So right. I was now back on the street. Okay, what year is this now? Two thousand six. Two thousand six. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in two thousand six. What do you do? I'm I'm walking around Austin feeling like I'm a one-hit wonder. I'll never have another idea. But you never need to work again. Sure, but <laughs> I mean, but that's not the that's not the measurement of success. Okay. So, I spent the next few years trying to figure out what am I going to do. And yeah. I made a few investments including a supply chain company that did reverse logistics like the Dell battery recall. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of a Gun for hire, trying yeah. to figure out where I'm going to spend my time. So then, uh, let's talk about Surge. Mm-hmm. So when does Surge get off the ground? Well, 2010, I moved back to Houston, uh-huh. right? And, and started working out of your office. Yeah. Not your office, but your offices. Yeah. And one of the vacant office. Yep. Yeah. You were, you were, we shared a wall. We shared a wall. Yeah. And, um, and we thought that the accelerator business and the, the model is a great model, and Houston needed one. Now, we're coming in at the tail end of this story now. It's 2016, and you recently announced that Surge has shut down. That's right. Looking back now, you're, you had this accelerator, and it operated for a few years, and now it's not. That's right. How, how do you feel about that? I mean, I feel like I failed. I mean, you know, I'm not a failure. It's not your first failure. I'm not a failure. I failed. It's not my first failure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard because the idea was we were going to create momentum in the city to spur other innovation outside of surge. Yeah. And I guess that flywheel that you were anticipating that just didn't happen. The flywheel didn't happen. We built, I mean, it was working really well. Right. The ecosystem uh, supported it. We had incredible mentors. We invested in some great people, and you've got great companies that are still running right now. Great companies, a lot of a lot of follow on capital on those companies as well. Yeah, sixty plus million in follow on capital. Yeah, smart people. Yeah. The, the however is in the business of when we were for profit, like very much like what we were, we were investors in. Y'all are investors, but yeah. uh, really like what a Mercury Fund is on a smaller scale. But we're in the business of generating returns. I would argue a larger scale, considering the volume of companies. Well, have. man, the back office. I thought like the back <laughs> office. I can't afford the back office. <laughs> How many companies total went through search? Forty-three companies. Wow. I mean, amazing. How did you stay sane? 
I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. That's why I was like, I can't do this again unless we have a lot more scale. And that's really where, I mean, the day I shut Surge down yeah. is the day that Sam Altman, who runs Y Combinator, and I have the hugest respect for, he had, he was on Bloomberg talking about, and he had uh, his Y Combinator investments, Dropbox, he had Cruise Automation that got bought by GM for over a billion dollars, and he had... Uh, Airbnb founders on. Mm -hmm. And these are companies that are all changing the world. Right. And I look back at Surge saying, we have incredible investments. I'm super impressed with them, but we don't have the kind of shining star momentum. And the cruise automation example is what I really look at as the pivot points. Like GM, and we're dealing in an industry where you have a lot of incumbents and they're not threatened. And until they're threatened, they're not going to be buying companies that we invest in for ridiculous multiples. Yeah. It's just not going to scale at the speed that we thought was was necessary. If you could give advice right now to someone who wants to launch their own surge, what would you be telling them? Oh, man. I mean, I... And by surge, I mean an accelerator focused on the energy industry. Well, what's funny is, not funny, you know accelerators better than anybody on the planet. Because you created the measurement of how to grade accelerators, which I think is super impressive. You've been following this movement from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I always thought, even when we started Surge, that most accelerators will fail. And partly right. it's because they have no unique value proposition. They don't really solve... They solve a local problem, but not a global problem. And where Y Combinator has the most unfair, ridiculous deal flow in existence, and Techstars has a, another model that works. They have scale. Most accelerators don't have a unique value proposition. And one way to create one of those was, was have a vertical and chase uh -huh. a vertical and just be great at it. Uh-huh. Well, energy is a great vertical because no one else can own it except Houston. And Surge... Created like we're going to be the one accelerator that uh, promotes the energy sector. The problem is, is the buyers in energy aren't ready. Right. And timing's everything. And being early is equivalent to being wrong. So my advice is make sure that you have a value proposition where you can recruit the best in the world. Yeah. Because we actually would recruit, I think, some of the best entrepreneurs in the world. Yeah. It sounds like what worked for you at the PGA network, where you had Sirius and XM. Yes. With Surge, you basically had these oil companies kind of set up to be your acquirers, and it seems like they just weren't biting. They're not. Yeah, great analogy. Yes, they weren't biting. Yeah, and it seems like that's that's kind of what you need. You need it. Yeah, you have to have you have to have buyers. Otherwise, what are you selling? Okay, that's right. That's a good point. Yeah, and that's why I go back to this cruise automation. Like, why were they they raised nineteen million? Yeah. Get bought for a billion, yeah. but GM never would have made that acquisition if it wasn't for Google, Tesla, Apple. Get a buyer that cared. A buyer that's afraid, yeah. especially when there's immediate pain. You know, to bring this full circle, it seems like, you know, your boss at Gaylord was kind of <laughs> onto something. Um, from the standpoint that you can build for growth if you know that you have buyers waiting for you. If you don't have buyers waiting for you, then you got to build for profitability, which is what you were arguing for there. Brilliant. Yes, sir. Lesson learned. <laughs> I just took a lesson out of this. <laughs> so, 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 so now you're a professional surfer. Professional surfer. That's right. I saw your updated LinkedIn just the other day. 
Got a lot of laughs out of that yeah. one. Yeah, uh, you guys can't tell, um, you listeners to this podcast, but we're actually coming to you from the Houstonian gym right now, <laughs> which is where Kurt made me meet him with his, you know, because again, successfully exited entrepreneur, you're very rich. How do you, um, and how so do you this train? is this is where you make me come to meet you. To be a professional <laughs> surfer requires talent, which I don't have any, but it also <laughs> requires this skill set to be able to, you know. Sit in the water all day. So, yeah, I'm training. I'm training. <laughs> You're training in the sauna. <laughs> so, uh, so what's next? Well, I, I think that energy is, 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 I think energy has never been more ripe for innovation. Uh huh. Where I learned, what I learned from Surge is trying to sell technology to the incumbents is not a good strategy. So compete head to head against the incumbents is a great strategy. Now that's right. a much bigger thing to tackle, yeah. but, but that's, you know, why, if you, if you don't go big, why go at all? Right. At least that's my motto today. Which is another interesting take on this meta point that we're making here, right? Which is, it sounds like it's not really two options, it's three options. Which is, look, if you have a world of buyers, then okay, you can build a company for growth and have someone buy your company. Right. If you don't have a world of buyers, you then have two choices. One, you have to get your company to profitability ASAP. Or two, you should be building your company... To replace all the incumbents Absolutely. as fast as you can. Well, well said. Exactly right. But if you're going to go down that last path, you better have the money to pull it off. In a lot of it, <laughs> and I think that's one of the advantages yeah. that that and as a VC you're able to see, right? Right. You're able to provide that capital. I don't, I, look, I yes. can never run a company like you, um, but uh, <laughs> but, uh, but at least I can understand capital needs. I'm not even going to reply to that. <laughs> Very cool, man. Well, hey, thanks so much for your time today. Dude, you're incredible. It's great to be with you. It's great to be with you as well. Guys, this was Kurt Coburn, um, professional surfer now, uh, previously managing director at Surge Ventures, and uh, founder of several startups, including the very successful PGA Network. Thank you so much.